this morning with reading you a quote. It says, if we work upon marble, it will perish. If we work upon brass, time will efface it. If we rear temples, they will crumble to dust. But if we work on men's immortal minds, if we impress on them the high principles, the just fear of God, and love for their fellow man, we engrave on those tablets something which no time can efface and which will brighten and brighten to all eternity. That was a quote from Daniel Webster, May 22nd, 1852, in his address to uh, Fahrenheit Hall. Now, what is it that we hope to do here today? Do we want to hear some nice stories, interesting analogies and symbolism, uh, so that we walk away just a little bit less ignorant, that we have some smart talk over coffee, or the water cooler at work? Or do we, like Webster before us, want to engrave something on our hearts which no time can efface, brighten to all eternity, storing up those tre heavenly treasures? Well, today, um, I had originally hoped to make it through all of chapter 7, um, as you see in your bulletins. However, um, the more I studied, the more I wrote notes, my pages went from 4 to 5 to 6 to 16. To... Folks, we're not going to get through the whole chapter. I'm sorry. I think we might make it up to about verse 12, so we'll shoot for that today. Um, but some of the things that we are going to look at, we are definitely going to talk about judging and judgment. Ooh. We're also going to discuss ask, seek, and knock. Knock, knock. Thank you. Opportunity. Don't be silly. Opportunity doesn't knock twice. That's as good as it gets, people. Sorry. But we will have the opportunity to go ahead and look at Jesus. Here in this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and primarily, he dealt up until this point in themes that connected the interior spiritual life, the attitude of giving, prayer, fasting, materialism, being anxious over material things. Now, he touches on an important theme related to the way we think and the way we treat others. Verse 12 reads, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Now, you may have heard it like this. Do unto others as if you would have others do unto you. Now, what is that? The golden rule. Yes. So today's message is simply called the golden rule. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we come before you. And Lord, your word lays down so many rules, so many statutes. And today, as we look at the external, Lord, I pray that truly we would be able to go ahead. And Lord, that when we walk out of this place, that we would be more inclined to that golden rule, doing others as we would have wanting them to do unto us. God, you are so good. You too bless so abundantly. So be with us here today. Lord, be with us as we go through your scriptures. And Lord, just allow it to speak to the hearts and minds that are here today. Lord, I, I feel that um, I know I can look at myself and think there are going to be challenges. Judging? 
Lord, I know I'm guilty of this, guilty of this sin. And Lord, as it does, maybe pull on a few heartstrings today. Lord, that we would not let it just go by the wayside, but instead that truly this would be the day that we say, Lord, change me, change my heart. And God, again, if there is anything of man, let it not fall or let it fall on deaf ears, but it is of you, Lord. Lord, truly let it sink in. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And it is in God's precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you would open up your study, your Bibles, as we start off in chapter 7, verse 1, where we're searching for the text. We're here. It's up there. All right. Well, you guys don't get my PowerPoint today. Your loss. So as we start off in verse 1, chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Do you not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let's, let me remove this speck from your eye. And look, a plank is in your eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if he, his son, asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, how, how, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. So let's go ahead and we'll stop right there. And we start off in verse 1. Judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Judge not that you be judged. Now, we remember in uh, Matthew chapter 5, when we were going through that, Jesus called for a righteousness that was greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, some people seem to think that uh, to make oneself more righteous, they need to be more judgmental towards others. And Jesus rebuked that kind of thinking. Judge not that you be not judged. With this command, Jesus warned against passing judgment on others. Because when we do, we will be judged in a similar manner. Among those whom you seek, you see, who know nothing about the Bible, um, this verse seems to be the most popular, isn't it? Right? How many times have you had that thrown into your face? Yet, you see, 
the, the people who quote this, they don't understand what Jesus was saying. They seem to think or hope that Jesus' commandment is a universal acceptance of any lifestyle or teaching. I had a spirited debate with my now estranged nephew who threw out this phrase at me. And of course, that was his first point of condemnation. The condemnation that I had with my Lord, the relationship between the two of us. Yet I rebuked it and I said, well, I hope you don't feel that uh, what ISIS does is acceptable. Because if we don't judge, then you're okay with this. Judge ISIS? Yes. It's pure evil. It's driven by dark forces and the evil one. You see, when we look at the word judge, we have to go back to the Greek. And in the Greek, it's translated, the, the word that's used is krino, which means to judge to the place of condemnation. ISIS, for what they do, the fruit of their actions, I can without hesitancy say that there is only one eternal place for them. And they better bring a lot of ice because it's hot. <laughs> now, just a little later in the same sermon, Jesus in Matthew um, 7, 15, and 16, we'll get to that next week. Jesus commands us to know ourselves and others by the fruit of their lives. Um, some sort of assessment is necessary for that. Now, I want you to pay attention to this because this is where I think a lot of people get confused. The Christian is called to show unconditional love. Amen? Yes. But the Christian is not called to unconditionally approve. Let me read that again. We are called to unconditional love, but the Christian is not called to unconditional approve. Not unconditional approval. You see, we can say that we love people, but we don't have to approve of what they're doing. My brother, who practices homo a homosexuality lifestyle, I don't have to approve of it, but I still love him. Love him amazingly as my brother. Now, I think where many get confused is because we read through the scriptures. And like, for example, in, in Romans 16, and, uh, uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 17, it says that we're supposed to call or mark the man who causes division. Verse 17, now I urge you, brethren, note that those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, avoid them. And in Galatians uh, 1.8, Paul writes, but even we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you other, uh, than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So there's a need to judge, but there's not a place of condemnation. Rather, we are to judge for identification and restoration. You see, um, I am to say lovingly to those that are wrong. Because I care about you, I want you to know that you're going the wrong direction. Leviticus 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. So do not hate your brother, but love him. But do not allow him to continue in his sin. Galatians 6.1 Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, in any sin, you who are spiritual, re uh, restore such a one in a spiritual uh, spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you be tempted or you fall into sin. 
You see, according to Scripture, I must make judgments and identifications. But I am not to have an attitude of condemnation. Now, you see, in my job as an officer, it would be very easy for me to be officer, judge, and jury. You know, let's say, for example, I get into a pursuit, and I'm chasing somebody. And let's say that this individual has got a small child in the car with him. Now, here it is. This person has endangered the lives of everybody out there on the roadway. The flock, which I've been entrusted to, they've endangered the life of my fellow officers. They've endangered the life of that child that is sitting there inside of that car. That child who by the pure nature, by the innocence of them, relies upon the parents, relies upon the adults for their provision, for their protection. And this person has gone ahead and violated all those. I'm going to be honest with you. They have just pressed every single one of my buttons. Now, I'll tell you what. It would be very easy to be of my flesh and to go ahead and to yank that individual out of the driver's window. Maybe it's not even open yet. <laughs> okay? And administer a little bit of justice. Okay? But that's not what the law empowers me to do. And that's not what God's law would want me to do. You see, identify the error of the sin. But it's still up to the courts to do their job. It's still up to my Lord to do his job of condemnation and his alone. So while this doesn't prohibit the examining of other people's lives, it certainly prohibits doing so in the spirit in which it is often done. You see, an example of unjust judgment was the disciples' condemnation of Mary when she came to the feet of Jesus. Do you remember that when she broke the oil over his feet? How did the disciples go ahead and react, right? Here it was, they were just like, they thought that she was wasting something. But Jesus said, she has done a good work and would always be remembered. They had a rash, a harsh and unjust judgment. And you see, we break this commandment when we think the worst of others. We break this commandment when we only speak about the other's faults. We break this commandment when we judge an entire life by its worst moments. We break this commandment when we judge the hidden motives of others. We break this commandment when we judge others without considering ourselves in the same circumstances. We break this commandment when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves will be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. Jesus did not prohibit the judgment of others. He only requires that your judgment be completely fair and that we only judge others by the standard in which we also are likely to be judged. Now, when our judgment is in regards to others uh, is wrong, it's often not because we judge according to a standard but we are hypocritical in the application of that standard. We ignore the standard in our own lives. It's common to judge others by one standard and ourselves by another, being much more, more gracious to ourselves than others. So Adam, if I have an attitude of condemnation or, or 
I'm not supposed to have an attitude of condemnation. How do I know if I'm condemning people? Well, if you're not willing to take part in their restoration, then you're probably practicing condemnation. You see, when Jesus walked into the upper room with his disciples, did he walk in there and go, oh, man, you guys, why didn't you wash your feet? They stink. <laughs> right? It's a smelly mess up here. No, instead in John 13, we read that he rose from the supper, girded himself with a towel, and he began to wash their feet himself. So too, I believe that at some point, if I'm going to go ahead and point out somebody's dirty feet, I better be willing to kneel down and wash them too. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is the principle upon which Jesus built the command, judge not that lest you be judged. According to the teachings of some of the rabbis in Jesus' time, God had two measures. He used one to judge people. The first measure was the measure of justice, and the other was the measure of mercy. Whichever measure you wanted God to use, you should use the same measure with others. Now, we should only judge another's behavior when we are mindful of the fact that we ourselves will be judged and we consider how we want to be judged. In this manner, um, in which I, well, well, wait a second. Okay, hold on, Adam. So I'm going to be judged by God? Is that what you're telling me? Is that, that how we're, we're going to go ahead and ask? No. You see, all of our sins have been dealt with in the cross at Calvary then who is going to judge me? People will. If I am critical of others, if I am pointing out the dirt on their feet with no intention of restoring, of healing or helping, I'm going to get that same judgment hurled right back at me. Verses 3 through 5 is pretty much an illustration of Jesus' principle regarding judgment. And why do you look at the speck, verse 3, in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Why do we look at the speck in our brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in our own eye? Now, you see, Jesus uses this humorously. Oh, Miles. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me get that off for you. Hold on. Hold on. Let, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just reach down. Just give me a tissue. Anybody got a tissue? Can you see how silly that is? Okay. And Jesus is using that point, right? I mean, here it is. It's humorous when we think about it. It's humorous, and it's supposed to be. That's the way that he's doing. But how difficult would it be to go ahead and remove the speck out of Miles' eye, okay, when I've got this board just sticking, closing up one of my eyes, right? What a challenge that would be. And so he says here, he goes, make sure you take care of yourself first. You know, an example of looking for a speck in another's eye while ignoring the plank in one's own eye is the religious leaders. Remember when they brought the woman who was caught in adultery before Jesus? 
What was it that they said to her? Mm-hmm. John 8, 7. He who is without sin, Jesus says to them, let him throw the first stone. You know, one day, should I ever become a senior pastor of a church? I think I'll go into business, and I'm just going to have John 8, 7 written on a bunch of stones and have that sitting on my pulpit, have that sitting on my desk so that when somebody comes in complaining about something, I can just simply hand them the stone. Look at the plank in your own eye. Jesus indicates that the one plank in one's own eye would, that the person would not necessarily be immediately aware of it. He is blind to the obvious fault. It is an attempt to correct the fault of someone else when we ourselves have the same or a greater fault that earns the accusation, hypocrites! See, our hypocrisy in, many, uh, in these matters is almost always more evident than it is than, uh, to others than ourselves. You see, we may find a way to ignore the plank in our own eyes, but the others, we notice it immediately. You know, a good example of this hypocrisy was David's uh, reaction to Nathan's story about a man who unjustly stole and killed another man's lamb. David quickly condemned, condemned this man, but was blind to his own sin, which was much greater. Do you remember the story? Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's read through this because I think it's valuable. I think it is truly valuable when we sit here and we look at ourselves and yet we're so quick to judge others. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, bought and nourished, and grew it up together with him and with his children. It ate of his food and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd prepared one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing. And because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to Daniel, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives in your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if it, and if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. 
Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him in the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversary against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel before the sun so David said to Nathan I have sinned against the Lord why was so David eager to hand out excessive judgment I believe that we're always harshest with the sins in others that we also hide within our own hearts. First, remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, Jesus didn't say that it was wrong to go ahead and to help our brother with the speck in his eye. It's a good thing to help your brother with his speck, but not before dealing with the plank in your own eye. In verse 6, we need to have balance of love and discernment. See, verse 6 says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn and tear into pieces. If my uh, PowerPoint was working, uh, there would have been the picture of a pig wearing pearls. And it was almost like it was posing. And I had to laugh, but it was, it was completely silly, uh, you know, that somebody would go ahead and do that. Who would put pearls on a pig? But that's exactly what we do sometimes. Remember, without the Holy Spirit, people will not understand. In Isaiah 11:2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And remember, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. People are not going to get it. You know, my daughter, Kiana, um, she was a teacher's assistant at the Bible college. And in there, she had the privilege and honor of reading others' papers and grading them too. Now, there was one paper which uh, the, the topic of it was to explain to a professor friend uh, why it is rational to believe in God. Now, this was their apologetics class. And apologetics, which is the discipline of defending a position, often religious, through a systematic use of information. Okay? The student kept trying to cite Bible verses in order to convince this professor friend. Now, what was she doing? She was throwing pearls before swine, wasn't she? And she didn't understand why she wasn't getting a good grade. <laughs> yes, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16 does say that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for the instruction in righteousness. Now, I started off with a, with a quote from Daniel Webster, and the name might ring a bell. Uh, not to be confused with his brother Noah. No, not the one with, on the ark. Okay. But Noah Webster, who was actually a cousin of his, and felt that God's word was so important, the fact that God used language in order to speak to us, that he went ahead and he put together a dictionary. But Daniel, Daniel Webster, was a renowned statesman and a lawyer. And many of his courtroom sh uh, arguments shaped at several key uh, U.S. Supreme Court decisions. He had an amazing win record. Um, and do you know how he won his cases? He used scripture. He would integrate scripture into his argument every opportunity he got. And he had this amazing win record. Sorry to say his record probably wouldn't be so strong today, would it? Do not give what is holy to the dogs. After he warned us against judgmental attitudes and self-blind criticism, Jesus reminds us that he did not mean to imply that his people, um, his kingdom, suspend all discernment. We must discern that there are some good, precious things that should not be given to those who will receive them with contempt. We might say that Jesus means don't be judgmental. Don't throw out all discernment either. You see, the dogs and the swine here are often understood uh, those that are hostile against the kingdom of God. And that's what it announces in the message. Our love for others must not blind us to their hardened rejection of the good news of the kingdom. Yet we may also see in this context of the previous words used against the hypocrites. It may be that in Jesus' mind, the dogs and the swine represent hypocritical, judgmental believers. These sinning hypocrites should not be offered the pearls that belong to the community of the saints. Jesus also spoke in the context of correcting another brother or sister. Godly correction is the pearl. Though it might sting for a bit, um, but we must not cast it before swine. So in other words, those who are determined not to receive it. Nor cast your pearls before swine. Our pearls are the precious gospel that may only confuse those who do not believe, who are blinded to the truth by God of the, the God of this age. Right? 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, and it'll only expose the gospel to their ridicule. The gospel is to be preached to every creature, Mark 16, 15. But when the Jews were hardened, when they spoke evil uh, of the way of the multitude in Acts 19, 9, what did the apostles do? They left preaching them. You see, they had discernment. They had discernment and they knew that it was going to fall on deaf ears and it wasn't go going anyway. Are we to plant seeds? Yes, most definitely. We're to do that. However, when you're running up against a brick wall and that little bell is going off in the back of your head, walk away. Of course, Jesus didn't say these things to discourage us from spreading the gospel. Previously in his very sermon, Jesus told us that we were lights of the world, right? Remember that in Matthew 5, uh, 5 verses 13 through 16? Jesus said this to call us to discernment, to encourage us to look for prepared hearts 
that were already ready to receive. When we find such open hearts, then we can trust that God has already done the work upon them. Verses 7 and 8, Jesus invites us to keep on asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Do you see the progressive intensity there? It goes from ask to seek to knock. Jesus told us to have intensity, to have passion, to be persistent in our prayer. The fact that Jesus came back to the subject of prayer, remember we dealt with this with some depth when we went over Matthew 5 and we talked about the Lord's Prayer when the disciples came to him and asked, Lord, how do we pray? Ask, seek, knock. We see here a threefold description of asking, seeking, and knocking. And we look at the different aspects and the different aspects of the rewards. Now, I believe that we have to look at this from two perspectives, from an earthly perspective and an eternal perspective. Ask, God, please heal me. And how many of those are not healed, even though they pray? But yet, eternally, in Revelation 21.4, it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Seek. You see, have you ever looked for answers and not found them? Well, sometimes we look in the wrong places. Sometimes we don't look to God for the answers. Sometimes it's not our season to know. And lastly, there are things that we may never know, for God's ways are not our ways. But eternally, we will walk with our Lord. And when we seek the answers, all of those questions that we'll have, he'll give them to us. Knock. Remember, heaven is there for anyone who will just repent of their sins, ask Jesus to enter into their hearts, and accept them as their Lord and Savior. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door. I will come to him and dine with him, and he with me. But it's not just ask, seek, knock, because when we look at the Greek in, in the context, it reads more like keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. This is meant to be a, in a continuous way. It's a way that the Lord wants to continue to foster a relationship with us. So keep praying without ceasing. Prayer is like asking in what we simply make our request, or in that we simply make our request known to God, and that everyone who asks receive. Receiving is the reward for asking. Prayer is like seeking in that we search after God. We search his word, we search his will, and he who seeks finds. Finding is the reward for seeking. And prayer is like knocking until the door is opened. We seek entrance into the great heavenly palace, 
of our great king. Entering through the open door into his palace is the reward of knocking. And that's the best reward of all. Now, I like the idea of knocking. Because you know what? It also comes with an implied uh, sense of resistance. I believe that as we grow, we need, in order to grow, we need that resistance. Now, think about working out or lifting weights. What is it that we're doing here? We put on a weight, we have that resistance in order to break down our muscles, in order that we rebuild them bigger, stronger. So knocking is required. After all, if the doors were already open, there would be no need to knock, would there? No, yet Jesus encourages us, even when you sense that the door is closed, you must knock. Then do so and continue doing so, and you will be answered. You know, I share with you that I'm on the warrant service team. And one of the requirements of law is that we go ahead and do what's called knock notice. So we approach bad guy's house, right? Knock on the door. California Highway Patrol, we have a warrant for your arrest. We give them the appropriate amount of time. And when we hear the drugs being flushed down the toilet, okay? Then we break out our door knocker, right? Bam! And we go in. We make entry, right? So we serve this warrant down in uh, San Bernardino. And uh, we make knock notice. We have a warrant for your arrest. Here's some scurrying. Okay, let's go. Bam, we break down the door. We make entry. Go ahead. We clear all the rooms. We get our bad guy. And there was this one older black man sitting on the couch the whole time just watching us. He looks at the door and he says, you know, I haven't locked that door in 75 years. <laughs> yeah, we, we paid for a new door jam and everything like that also. But yet the image of knocking also implies that the door can be opened. You see, his doors are meant to be opened. They were meant, uh, made on purpose for that entrance so that the blessed gospel of God is made on purpose for you to enter into life and peace. It would be of no use to knock at a wall, but you might wisely knock at the door for it is arranged for opening. And that comes from Spurgeon. We come to God's door, and we must, all we must do is knock. If it were locked against us, we would need a set of burglar's tools in order to try to break in. But that isn't necessary. All we have to do is knock. And even if I don't have a set of burglar's tools, I can still knock, can I? I know enough to do that. You see... Let me throw out another Spurgeon quote at you, and I love this. An uneducated man can knock if that is all which is required of him. A man can knock, though he may not be a philosopher. A dumb man can knock. A blind man can knock. With crippled hands, a man can knock. The way to open heaven's gate is wonderfully simple. To those who are lowly enough to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance and ask, and seek, and knock, believingly. God has not provided a salvation which can only be understood or learned by men. It is intended for the ignorant, for the short-witted, and the dying. 
as well as for others. And hence, it must be plain, as plain as knocking at the door. I think he nailed it. He hit home. And it's wonderful that we worship a God that is, it is so simple or as simple as that. Ask and it will be given to you. God promises an answer to the one who diligently seeks him. Many of our passionless prayers are not answered and for good reason. You know, it's almost as if we come to God, we kind of throw out that prayer and God's like, well, you really don't care about it. So why should I? See, we need to be passionate. We need to be persistent in our prayer and show that we share his heart. It shows that we care about the things that he cares about. Persistent prayer does not override or overcome God's stubborn resistance. It gives glory to him. It expresses dependence upon him and aligns our heart with his. Verse 9. And 9 through 11 illustrates Jesus' giving nature, the giving nature of God. Or what man is there among you who, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Jesus makes it clear that God doesn't have to be persuaded or appeased in prayer. He wants to give us not just bread, but even more than we ask for. Thankfully, the times that we ask for something as bad as a serpent without knowing, like a loving parent, God mercifully spares us the just penalty for our ignorance. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven? You know, it's almost blasphemous to deny God's answer to the seeking heart. We then imply that God is worse or then even worse than an even, even worse than an evil man. Instead, in comparison, um, he is the best human father. How much more? Isn't that amazing? We ask, and he gives us not just a little, but enough. Look at the world that we live in. I love it, the fact that, does he give us just enough air? We walk around with these little tubes. No, there's an abundance. Does he give us just a little bit of sunlight? No. This is amazing sunrise. Each and every day, we get filled with our vitamin D. We worship a God of abundance. and That's a beautiful thing. How much more is a God, a good God, and a loving Father? What a picture of his goodness. We're going to finish with a summation of Jesus' ethical teachings regarding the treatment of others, or, as we call it, the golden rule. Verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want to do, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Now, once again, 
The negative way of stating this command was known long before Jesus came around. And it was stated, you should not do to your neighbor what you would not want him to do to you. But once again, here Jesus puts it in the positive. He takes something that's negative and he turns it positive. And instead saying, do unto others what we would want others to do unto us. You know, the golden rule wasn't invented by Jesus. I guess in a broader sense. (laughs) But it's found in many different forms, highly diverse settings. Um, About 20 AD, uh, Rabbi Hillel was challenged by a Gentile to summarize the law in in, in the short time the Gentile could go ahead and stand on one leg. Reportedly, the rabbi went ahead and responded, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. The, all, the, all the rest is commentary. Now go and learn it. Again, we see Jesus took the negative and he made it positive. But in doing so, Jesus makes the command much broader. It is the difference between not breaking, oh, I don't know, say a traffic law, like this basic speed law, or going ahead and doing something positive, like helping a stranded motorist. You see, doing 65 miles an hour on the freeway isn't a big deal, is it? Everybody's doing 65. Okay, 75, 80. But it doesn't require anything special of us. We're not going the extra mile. Oh, but stopping for a stranded motorist? Well, now we have to see. What's the problem? Is there something that I can help with? Um, Is it something that I can fix? Is it something I can do in order to get them on their way? Maybe call AAA or something along those lines. Some kind of roadside service. And this is what Jesus is saying here. You see, this especially applies applies to the Christian fellowship. If we would experience love and have... uh, If we would experience love and have people reach out to us, we must love others and reach out to them. For this is the law and of the prophets. Jesus shows that the simple principle, the golden rule, summarizes all the law and the prophets say about how we should treat others. If we would simply treat others the way we want it to be treated, we would naturally obey all the laws, all the relationships with others. I'd like to close with this last quote from Spurgeon. Oh, that all men acted on it. There would be no slavery, no war, no swearing, no striking, no lying, no robbing, but all would would be justice and love. What a kingdom is this which has such a law. You've got all the answers now, folks. It's pretty simple. Now go out and do it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you so much that it is as simple as this. The golden law. Lord, it is as simple. The fact that we can put our faith, our trust in you. Lord, that all we have to do is knock. And the kingdom of heaven is there for us, for you will open the door. 
Lord, we look forward to the day in which we can come and dine with you. Lord, we look forward to that day. But not yet. Not yet. So while we are still here on this earth, God, I pray. I pray that you touched hearts and minds today. I pray that we go out beyond these four walls. And Lord, truly, bring it to our families. Bring it to our communities. Bring it to the world. For that's what you call us to do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.